One of the most well-known ancient structures in the world is the prehistoric ruin known as Stonehenge. Once an enigmatic mystery, now researchers theorize that it was built as a burial ground in several stages over thousands of years, using stone from up to 200 kilometers away. Over a million people visit this site each year, and it remains one of England's most popular tourist areas. However, this sort of mysterious monument surely has to be the realm of the Old World, yes? Surely in North America, there's no structure of this sort looming over an area, with no explanation as to why it was built. In fact, the United States has its own version of Stonehenge. On top of the highest hill in Elbert County, Georgia, just 90 miles east of Atlanta, sit the Georgia Guidestones, a monument that is unique in both size and mystery in the area. Standing over 20 feet tall, this collection of precisely engineered and designed granite stones is a spectacle on its own. Despite it bringing thousands of visitors to the county each year, both the reason for the monument's construction and the benefactors who wanted it built remain a mystery to this day. So, how long has this enigmatic structure been in place? Was it created by the Native Americans that previously called Elbert County home? Did it even predate them as some sort of pre-Homo sapien design for some long-forgotten reason? Neither. In fact, the Georgia Guidestones are only 40 years old. I'm Braden Thorvaldson, and this is... What? Explain. In June of 1979, a well-tailored, gray-haired man walked into the office of the Elberton Granite Finishing Company. He introduced himself to the owner as Robert C. Christian and claimed to represent a small group of loyal Americans who had wanted to build a large granite structure of unusual complexity and wished to hire the Elberton Granite Company to complete the project. Joe Fendley, the president of Elberton Granite, was at first convinced that the man was a kook and tried to get him out of the office by explaining that they don't usually deal directly with the public, and if he were to make an appointment for later, perhaps they could squeeze him in. But Robert Christian would not be deterred, and when he began to explain what he wanted built, Fendley stopped trying to shoo him out of the office and started to pay attention. Both the scope and complexity of the designs that Christian brought with him designed a monument that involved stones larger than any quarried in Elbert County before. Additionally, he wanted them finished and installed to form some sort of giant astronomical instrument. As anyone would when confronted with a very sane-seeming man with an intense desire to build a massive structure that could provide his company with a significant project, Fendley wanted to know what exactly Christian wanted with this design. Christian explained that he wanted this granite structure to work as a compass, a calendar, and a sundial of sorts. The structure would also need to be engraved in eight of the world's most common languages with a set of ten guidelines, and in four ancient languages with a shorter message. Most importantly, it needed to be able to withstand any catastrophic event so that the survivors of any apocalyptic scenario could flock to it to see instructions on what to do next to rebuild society. Still not quite sure that Christian was on the level, Fendley tested the man's resolve by giving him a quoted price for the project several times higher than any that Elberton Granite had completed before. 
explaining that a project of this scope would require specialized equipment, and consultants would need to be hired as well. Christian didn't even blink, and simply asked when the project could be completed. Taken aback, Fendley stated that it would take six months at the very minimum, but he wouldn't be able to start the project unless he had proof that Christian actually had the money to pay for it. When Christian asked if there was a banker nearby that could vouch that he had the money, Fendley sent him to Wyatt Martin, the president of the Granite City Bank. Christian nodded, said he would return when the bank confirmed his assets, and then left the office. When Christian reached the Granite City Bank, Martin was waiting to meet him in his office. Fendley had called Martin ahead of Christian's arrival, warning him that, quote, a kook over here wants to build some sort of crazy monument, and was on his way over to Martin. But with his neatly trimmed hair and well-tailored appearance, Christian didn't seem to fit the idea of a kook to Martin. Christian's meeting with Martin was quite different from the one with Fendley. The first thing mentioned by Christian was the fact that R.C. Christian was in fact a false name, that the group he represented had been planning the creation of this monument for over two decades, and that they wanted to remain forever anonymous. When Christian explained what exactly he wanted to build, Martin was astonished. He took Christian over to the town square, where the city had commissioned a fountain to honor the United States Bicentennial. The main feature of the fountain was a ring of 13 granite panels, each one about 2 feet long by 3 feet wide, each representing one of the 13 original colonies. Martin explained that this was the single largest project ever completed in Elbert County, and it was many times smaller than what Christian and the people he represented wanted done. Again, this did not seem to bother Christian, and he promised to return to Martin on Monday, after chartering a plane to look over potential sites for the monument. When Christian returned to the bank on Monday, Martin was blunt. He could not assure Fendley that he had the money unless he knew the man's true name, and received some assurance that he and his associates actually had the money to pay for the monument. Christian initially balked at this, but over time, he and Martin made an agreement. Christian would reveal his true identity to Martin, and Martin would, in return, act as his intermediary on the project. He would sign an agreement never to reveal this information to anyone, and Martin would destroy any documents related to this arrangement after the deal went through. Christian returned to the Elberton Granite Company after signing the agreement with Martin, and gave Fendley two items, a shoebox with the model of what he wanted built inside, and ten pages of specifications on what exactly the monument should and should not contain. Fendley still remained skeptical until Martin phoned to tell him that the $10,000 deposit was in the bank account, just as Christian said it would be. After that, Fendley stopped doubting and got to work. With Fendley and Martin's help, Christian found the ideal spot for the monument, on the highest point in Elbert County, with a view of the entire county from all sides. For $5,000 and grazing rights on the land for his cattle, the owner of the land, Wayne Mullinex, signed the land over to R.C. Christian. With the purchase of the land completed and the money being delivered to the Elberton Granite Company, Christian's business in Elbert County was finished. He made one last visit to the Granite Company's headquarters to bid a final farewell to Fendley, stating that he would never see him again. True to his word, Christian communicated exclusively through Martin from that point onwards. Within a few weeks of the construction beginning, 
Christian wrote that the deed to the land should be transferred over to Elbert County, leaving the county in charge of the upkeep and protection of the monument when it was completed. Even aside from quarrying the six massive slabs of granite that made up the main design, the creation of the monument needed many experts to be brought in. These experts included members of the United Nations and naturalized citizens in the area to translate the ten guidelines into the required eight different living languages, to an astronomer from the University of Georgia to ensure that the astronomical designs requested were implemented correctly. The four outer stones were to be placed based on the sun's yearly migration, while the center column needed a hole drilled through, in which the North Star would be visible throughout the year, and a slot that would be lined up with the position of the rising sun during solstices and equinoxes. The capstone on top was also designed with a 7 8 of an inch hole through which a beam of sunlight would pass through at noon, hitting the center stone in a particular location that indicated what day of the year it was. However, the main points of the monument were the ten guidelines or principles to rebuilding society, which were sandblasted into the sides of the outer slabs in eight of the world's most common languages at the time. English, Russian, Mandarin, Arabic, Classical Hebrew, Swahili, Hindi, and Spanish. It was estimated that these languages were known collectively by over 90% of the people alive at the time. Additionally, the words, let these be guidestones to an age of reason, were carved on the sides of the capstone in Egyptian hieroglyphics, Classical Greek, Sanskrit, and Babylonian cuneiform. By early 1980, the hilltop was being prepared for the monument. The hill itself was scraped down to bedrock, while five granite slabs were put down to act as a foundation. Then, a 100-foot-tall crane, specially ordered for the occasion, was used to lift each of the six main stones into place. Including the foundation stones, the whole monument weighed over 240,000 pounds and was over 18 feet high. The work complete, the construction company draped the monument in plastic in anticipation of the vernal equinox reveal. The project had a significant amount of controversy attached to it, even before it was fully completed. Members of the Elberton Granite Association accused Fenley and Martin of making up the whole R.C. Christian story in order to gain both attention and business for Fenley's company. The rumors got bad enough that both Fenley and Martin agreed to take a lie detector test at the town hall to prove they had nothing to hide. They passed with flying colors, but the facts revealed during the test caused further consternation in the community. A local reverend predicted that the monument would attract occult groups to the area, and that human sacrifices would be made as a result. This theory gained some momentum when Charlie Clamp, the man in charge of sandblasting the over 4,000 individual characters into the monument, reported hearing strange music and disjointed voices while he worked. Despite all this, the monument was revealed to the public to fanfare and overall positivity on March 22, 1980. All of a sudden, Elberton, the seat of the county, and a town in Georgia, became a tourist destination as people from around the world flocked to see this mysterious monument. Joe Fenley himself became one of Elberton's most famous sons and was credited for putting Elberton on the map. As word of the monument spread, so did concern about the Ten Guidelines, and what they might be considered to advocate for. 
The first guideline was the main issue for many. Maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. At the time, there were 4.5 billion people on the planet, so this raised alarms for many. The second guideline did nothing to reassure those people. To guide production wisely, improving fitness and diversity. To many in the United States, those two tenets seem to draw a line towards eugenics in general and the practice of the Nazis specifically. Guide number three instructed the readers to create a new living language, which disturbed many evangelicals, as the book of Revelations warned that a one-world government and a common tongue throughout the world were goals of the Antichrist. The remaining seven guidelines, to rule passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason, to protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts, to let all nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court, to avoid petty laws and useless officials, to balance personal rights with social duties, to prize truth, beauty, and love, seeking harmony with the infinite, and to be not a cancer on the earth, and to leave room for nature. We're less controversial than the first three, but there were still pockets of concerned citizens in the county. As people in Elbert County weighed their worry about the ten guidelines against the influx of tourist money, some of the dire predictions of evangelicals started coming true. Within months of the monument being unveiled, a coven of witches from Atlanta claimed the Guidestones as their home away from home and traveled to Elberton on weekends to engage in various pagan rites, according to local reports. While there were no humans sacrificed at the Guidestones, rumors persisted that several chickens were beheaded. The Guidestones have also birthed theories within the UFO watching community. The four largest of the stones create an X when viewed from above, which make it an ideal landing site, according to many UFO experts. The man known as R.C. Christian maintained a correspondence throughout the years with Martin, the banker who acted as his go-between. In fact, Christian would occasionally call Martin from a payphone at the Atlanta airport to say that he was in the area, and the two would grab lunch in the nearby town of Athens, Georgia. Martin said in an interview that despite years of correspondence, Christian never told him anything about the organization he belonged to. Martin received his last letter from Christian in September 2001, and assumed that the man, in his mid-80s by Martin's estimation at the time, had passed away. The mystery of the benefactors who sponsored the construction of the Guidestones continue to inspire conspiracies even to this day. There are some that believe that the Guidestones were created as a sort of New World Order Ten Commandments, and that R.C. Christian was a part of a Luciferian secret society, while others believe that Christian and his associates were Rosicrucians, followers of the Order of the Rosy Cross, an organization that claims understanding of the universe and the spiritual realm. However, there's only one man that knows for sure, and he isn't telling. Wyatt Martin remains the one person alive that knows the true identity of R.C. Christian, and potentially about the organization he worked for. But despite many people asking and interviewing him about the information, he refuses to answer any questions about R.C. Christian's true identity, stating that he swore an oath, and he means to keep it. So the truth of the identity and reasons of the organization behind the Georgia Guidestones will forever remain a mystery, it seems. However, if you wish to take a look at the structure yourself, they remain open to the public to this day. 
wander up the hill in Elbert County towards this imposing monument and think to yourself, why? What would drive this mysterious group of people to design something of this magnitude? I'm Braden Thorvaldson, and I'll talk to you in two weeks with another fact that will make you go, what? Explain. Thank you all so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you like what you've heard so far, give the show a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us. It helps a new show like this one immensely, so thank you in advance. If you have friends, family, or even acquaintances that you think might like the show, let them know about it. If you want to get in contact or follow the show on social media, it is at WhatExplainCast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I'll be putting up a new episode every second Thursday, so feel free to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, and be ready for the next one the minute it goes out. For all the new listeners, welcome, and for those that stuck with the show, thank you so much. I'll talk to you all in a couple weeks.